The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. All right. Hello, Anteater Nation. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bostenmeyer, and my special guest today is quite literally a big man on campus. Because of his size, you often recognize him walking around school from afar. He is none other than UCI basketball head coach, Russ Turner. It appears from the outside looking in, Coach Turner developed his gift of height and strength for not only being a warrior on the court, but also beside the court. And today, I'm looking forward to finding out and hearing all about it from the man himself. Welcome to UCI Conversations, Coach. Thanks, How are you Kevin. today? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. You're very welcome, sir. I always like to start from the top. Well, first of all, happy birthday week for you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Where did you grow up and what did you like to do when you were a kid? Oh, wow. Uh, I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, which is a great place. It's a town of about 100,000 people in southwestern Virginia, so it's closer to Tennessee and West Virginia than it is to Washington, D.C. Um, I like being from there. Uh, it was a great size town and place to grow up in the South. Um, it was a somewhat progressive city, um, you know, in the 70s when I was growing up, and there were a lot of really good people there, and there were good athletes. The primary industries in the town, there's a, there's a railroad and a GE factory, and so a lot of great working-class people, which meant that I had terrific coaches and leaders all throughout my youth. So I played all the sports. I had a paper route. Those were two of the things that, that really shaped me, I think, into uh, the, the, the person that I remain. So I was, I was really fortunate growing up in Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah, fantastic. Was basketball your favorite sport, or was there other sports too? You know, I loved every sport about the same for uh -huh. uh, different periods, you know, of my youth. Uh -huh. um, I was really into tennis at one point. Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe oh, were yeah. guys that I loved. Um, there was a lot of American pride um, that, that was associated with athletics as I, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, around the time the Olympics got uh, boycotted in 19... 80? I think uh, 80, yeah. yeah. And then, and then eight, you know, then 84, the 84 Olympics in... Uh, you know, here in Los in, Angeles, in LA, where yeah. when I was 14 years old, 
Um, I played every sport. I tried every ball sport that I could. I oh. tried football. I wasn't built well for that, but uh, that was a big sport where I grew up. Played basketball, baseball, um, tennis, I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. My dad taught me to play golf, which is a great thing for me now. Um, yeah, and it was yeah. it was fortunate for me that I had uh, the, the opportunity to play different sports in different seasons and, and be coached by so many different types of men who had impact on me. Oh, very good. Did you always know you'd go to college? Yeah, I assumed I would go to college because that was a message that my that my mom and dad were strong with me about. They both were college graduates. Uh, my mom went to Duke. My dad went to Randolph-Macon College in Virginia. They were both products of public school, as I was. I grew up in a public school, but um, yeah, we were we were taught that that was an expectation that we would strive hard academically, perform well earn a college opportunity, which would create um, the potential for us to have good lives, to make good livings. And so I bought into all of that and Mm -hmm. uh, really feel fortunate that I did. Yeah, very good. How'd you pick Hampton-Sydney College? Hampton-Sydney College is uh, a great place and an interesting place. Uh, It's two hours from Roanoke, and I was recruited there to be a basketball player in their basketball program. And I tell people that the uh, school that I went to, it's a Division three school, so it's comparable in some ways to Chapman University here. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for that school. Hampton Sydney's unusual, though, in that it remains an all-men's school. And so there aren't many colleges. I think there's only maybe two now uh, that remain all-men, but it's a differentiating point for them. Mm. Um, it, was, it didn't seem as uncommon, you know, in 1998 in 1988 when I graduated from high school. Uh, But it was something I took note of. And I do think that the fact that it was all men helped in many ways of my development. You know, I was a a late-blooming person, and I'm watching my kids go through some of that same experience. And I think that uh, my leadership probably developed more because I was at an all-men's school than it would have otherwise. Mm. And uh, that wouldn't be the same for everybody. Mm. But Hampton Sydney was a great place for me. It's the 10th oldest college in the country. It was established in 1776. Mm. Um, Some of our founding fathers were at times on the board. We've had presidential graduates of Hampton Sydney. So I I tell everyone that I got as good an education there as you can get anywhere else in the country or the world, I think. And I'm really fortunate to have had that experience. How did you decide to be an English economics major? Well, I wanted economics because it seemed to me at a liberal arts school that that was uh, the type of major, when I was a young guy, not knowing really any better, that that was the type of major that would open doors for me to get a good-paying job. That's what I was thinking about economics. And I was lucky to have good early economics professors who brought that subject to life for me and developed interests that I wanted to pursue. English was a little bit different. I had really good grades coming out of college, I mean, coming out of high school, and a solid SAT score, but I didn't do well on my verbal SATs. And so the Ivy League schools that were recruiting me for basketball told me I didn't do well enough to get in there. And I specifically hadn't done well on the verbal part of the SATs. I'd done exceptionally well in the math. Uh, but because I hadn't done well, the competitor in me decided I'd go major in English and show everybody that I could learn that stuff too. And uh, I had uh, some great professors um, early in the English classes that I took uh, that, that also continued to uh, impact and help me 
gain passion for what I was studying on that side of things. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good for you, Coach. I see you were a two-time All-American in basketball. There, the most points ever scored at that yeah, college. Yeah. Does that record still hold? It does. It does yeah. hold. I was fortunate. You know, the the choice I made um, as a basketball player was a great fit. Mm-hmm. The coach that recruited me uh, needed the skills that I had and valued the things that I did really well. And so I got an early opportunity to play a lot. And I was a bigger guy. I was six seven. You know, as a freshman, and so. In order to score, when you're six seven, you have to have guys who are really effective at getting you the ball around the basket. And so I had good teammates. Played with an All American guy my first year, and um, I played with the guy who led the, the school in assists my senior year. He's a career leader. So I had a lot of help uh, getting the ball in the spots to put it in the basket. And and my coach used those skills that I had at, at scoring around the rim really effectively. Very good. Was there a player that you hated to play against? In your college years, oh yeah, yeah, there were there were lots of them, and, and and interestingly, Kevin, I remember very well because I was a I was kind of a marked player, you know, I was a, a high scoring player, um, a recognized player as being one of the better ones, and so I I have these very vivid and specific memories of things that the coaches we competed against did to either limit me or irritate me or try to take me out of the game, and uh, those are things that that I've, I've continued to use in my repertoire to these days. Gotcha. So you graduated in 92. You are the assistant coach at your alma mater, and then you get an opportunity to go to Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. How did that opportunity come about? Oh, great question. The, the part of my story you skipped, my first job out of college was as a school teacher, and oh. I tell everybody I taught English in Rome. As Rome, Georgia. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> at, at a school called the Darlington School. And I recently read that uh, Ron DeSantis also was a teacher at the Darlington School, maybe just a few years after I, w- I had gone. That was a good experience. I got into coaching. I went to my alma mater. And then the break that I had to get uh, the job at Wake Forest, there were a couple things that happened. Number one, I coached the son of the head coach at, at Wake Forest. The head coach at Wake Forest is a guy named Dave Odom. His son, Ryan Odom, is now the head basketball coach at Utah State. And I coached Ryan in his second year at Hampton, Sydney. And in part because I coached Ryan and developed a good relationship with him and helped him, I got to know his dad better. And his dad then hired me a year later for what they called then the restricted earnings coach position. So the NSA had made a rule that they – uh, wanted schools to have one coach who was, quote, restricted earnings. So I made $12,000. I took a big pay cut to go to Wake Forest, huh. which was in the ACC. Um, and that was really a, a a great break for me because at that time, Tim Duncan was going into his sophomore year at Wake Forest. Yeah. So I got a chance to coach with Tim Duncan for three years uh, straight when I was uh, 22 to 25 years old. You know, you took the words right out of my mouth, Coach. One of my all-time favorite NBA yeah. players. I, you know, you're a very passionate, uh, emotional coach. I've heard people say that about you, and we see it on the court, yeah, yeah. too. Tim Duncan is just so... He's controlled. He yeah. doesn't let anything. It didn't seem like anything would ever flinch him from like I know what job I'm doing. Right. I'm going to play that here <laughs> and that. But that was his passion. It was like I I have it under control. Do you agree with that or? Do you- oh, I think that's a great thing about the game. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do things at a really high level. Sometimes, 
you know, I know that I appear to be a wildly competitive person. Well, Tim Duncan is as wildly competitive, if not more than I am. We just display things differently. You know, he has that stoic demeanor that you mentioned, um, but is as fierce a competitor as has ever played. Um, A lot of the models I had, the role models I had as coaches, relied on their emotion. And sometimes I think as a coach, generating that emotion, you can use as an advantage. Sometimes you can take it too far and it becomes a disadvantage, but uh, that's been part of the way that, that, that I've gone about it as a coach because it's natural for me. It's authentic. It's the same way um, I approached competing when I played. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was that Wake Forest, you, in 95, don't you go to the Sweet 16 and then 96 to the Elite Eight? Is that we True. did, yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had great success at Wake Forest um, in the the very early times that I was there. We won the ACC tournament at Wake Forest um, in my first season, which was the first time in thirty some years that that had happened for Wake Forest. Uh, I feel fortunate about that because at Hampton Sydney, uh, we made the NCAA tournament for the first time in school's history, and so wow. having done those things gave me confidence coming here to UC Irvine when. It was real clear the goal here would be to make the NSA tournament for the first time, which we did, of course, in 2015. So I felt well prepared um, for, for the things that were being asked for us to do here. Very good. From there, in 2000, you go to Stanford. How did that come about to well, a speed and assistant coach? Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't quite uh, that, that clean. exact <laughs> clean of a jump. Yeah. Um, it was a great thing for me. You know, my wife... Um, is a critical care doctor. She's she's an intensivist, and she graduated from med school in 2000 at Wake Forest, and I'll brag on her. She was number one in her class, so she could go pretty much anywhere she wanted to go and wanted to be challenged. Um, and her specialty was internal medicine at the time, and so she decided she either wanted to go to Stanford or she wanted to go to UCSF. Uh, so she chose the UC system over Stanford, which didn't make any sense to me at the time because I didn't know anything about UCSF. But for a doctor, um, especially an internist, the populations that you see in San Francisco, the diversity you see there is, you know, made the combination of the academics at UCSF and the population of that city the ideal place for her to choose. So we moved west in 2000 during the first tech boom and got a little bitty apartment in San Francisco. So wow. that's how we came out here. And I coached uh, women's basketball for a short period of time at USF. So the University of San Francisco, the private school up there. Um, I coached there and uh, then was offered a job to, to join the staff at, at Stanford when they had a great team. And so I made that move and was driving, uh, I think, down the 280 freeway, something like 60 miles for a year to work on the uh, staff of a Hall of Famer there, Mike Montgomery. So he gave me a tremendous opportunity, um, a great, great stroke of luck for me when I got to California to go work at Stanford. Good for you. Excuse me just for a moment, Coach, while I update our audience. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my special guest today live in studio is UCI's very own men's basketball head coach, Russ Turner. We're just getting to know him, and we're progressing through his career, and he comes to Stanford, and and you were there for four years? Is that yeah, Correct. four years at Stanford, and we had great success during that time. Uh, during my first season, we were number one in the country for part of the time there. Had some great players. I think uh, maybe 
Five guys on that team were ended up being first round NBA draft picks. Wow. Or first or second. We had Jaron and Jason Collins on that team. So uh, two guys who played long careers in the NBA with great success. Um, and then my last year, we won 30 straight games. Wow. At, uh, at Stanford. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We were number one in the country for a lot of that season, too, and had a chance to be the first ever undefeated team in the Pac-10 at the time. But we lost our last game of the home season, or the last game of the Pac-10 season that year at Washington against a great team. But we had a we had a really nice run over four years of the time I was there, and then that resulted in uh, – Coach Montgomery being hired with the Golden State Warriors. And, uh, and that's why I made the move from Stanford to the Warriors. I made that move with Coach Montgomery. Oh, I see. So you, you had this great run at Stanford, 30 games in a row and so forth. Did you not do well in the NCAA tournament that year? or Yeah, that's right. We, we, uh, we lost in a really tough second-round matchup. We lost as a number one seed. We lost the eighth seed Alabama Crimson Tide, coached by... Mark Gottfried, and it was a good game. Um, yeah. We didn't play well, and they did, and mm-hmm. it's the type of game that makes the NCAA tournament so special. But it was a disappointing ending to that season because uh, we had a great team, but we didn't we didn't perform in the tournament, which sometimes is what happens. Right, right, right. And we've just seen that in the baseball playoffs. Yeah, Dodgers yeah. B- bounced out, and Yankees, and hey, so forth. So it's not easy to be at your best when your best is needed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true in every sport. Yeah. So you're you're with the Golden State Warriors as an assistant coach. How did that feel being at the the top <laughs> level of your sport? I tell you what, it was intimidating yeah. uh, to to make the move from college into the NBA uh, with zero NBA experience. And I coached a lot of guys who had made it to the NBA, um, and it wasn't like we lacked confidence. But when you get to the NBA, uh, you realize that it's it's different and and special. And, and I've often told people that uh, coaching basketball in the NBA versus in college is as different as it would be f- coaching football and coaching baseball. Uh, the games are yeah. different. The rules are different. The dynamics are different. The differences are shocking if you haven't yeah. been a part of it. And I think that's why so many coaches who try to make the move from college to the NBA struggle with that move or vice versa from the NBA back to college because the experiences are, are, are not that related, um, and they require entirely uh, different skill sets in some ways. So um, it was intimidating to know that I was trying to lead without the expertise that I needed to lead well. Um, it required me to work really, really hard to try to get quickly up that curve, and I'm proud to have survived uh-huh. in the NBA as long as I did because uh, it's a grind. Professional sports is, is a tough performance-based profession. Um, Coach Montgomery was let go after his second year, and uh, that was a devastating thing for him and for me. Um, and luckily for me, I had a year left on my contract, and Don Nelson, who was who, for a while was the all-time winningest coach in the NBA, came on and agreed to keep me on for a year. And I ended up staying with him for four more years after that. So I had a good run in the NBA. Very, very good, Coach. Wow. So you were with the Golden State Warriors from 2004 to 2010. In 2009, the Warriors draft a guy named Steph Curry, who has gone to change the way basketball is played. Do you remember that whole transition? Were the Warriors expecting to get Steph Curry? Were they holding their breath, hoping to get, you know, what what was that like? Yeah, it's a great question. So 
Nelly, to his credit, said in that draft, Steph Curry is the guy we want. He's going to be a star. And at that time, very few people uh, were certain about yeah. that. Yeah. You know, Steph ended up pick seventh. Yeah. And so we had to get lucky that he fell to seventh. There were three point guards selected in front of him in that draft. Uh, so we were really fortunate for the mistakes that others made yeah. uh, for him to end up there. And it didn't seem at the time that we got him that Steph was uh, particularly excited about joining our organization because we were not one at that time that was perceived the way the or- organization is now with the yeah. Warriors. Uh, now that they're owned by a UCI grad, they're they're perceived a lot differently. I don't know if you know that. But <laughs> zot, the owner, zot, yeah, zot. The I, owner of the Warriors is a, is a UCI grad uh, now. At the time I was there, that was not the case. Um, but, yeah, I remember Steph well. I've told my players uh, that when Steph came into the NBA, he struggled mightily. Um, and those struggles, I am certain, have been a big part of the fuel that's allowed him to so spectacularly – exceed his expectations his expectations and others expectations he's uh worthy of um the the fandom that he gets now you know and and i i still somehow think that in in many ways he's underappreciated as a player just because he's um i don't know maybe so nice a guy such a a a really strong character person um he doesn't have the dominating fierce presence that maybe some others do, but I don't know that there's ever been a better player than Steph. Yeah. Um, And that's not a popular opinion, but to see up close the impact that he had on that organization over time is remarkable. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time, you could not have predicted when he came into the organization what he would turn into or... or No, no, I I don't think so. Um, Nelly was confident that he would be a star. Yeah. And, and there are different levels of stars, obviously. You know, Nelly had drafted Steve Nash, who also became a star mm-hmm. unexpectedly mm-hmm. and shares some interesting qualities with Steph Curry. Uh, so to be a part of that journey was fun, man. He is just a joy to be around. There's authenticity in the way he's represented. You know, he really is as good as he appears, I think. And uh, there's not too many folks who don't respect Steph Curry um, as a player, but even more critically as a man. Is part of his, I mean, is ball hand, is there a better, better ball handler than Steph Curry? Yeah, probably. You know, I think uh, Kyrie Irving's probably a better ball handler. You know, there may not be a better true shooter than Steph, um, but it wouldn't just be that skill that separates them. I think, uh, you know, Steph has a quality that elevates others and in professional sports and well, probably in anything that people with those qualities end up being um, difference difference makers mm. you know in some ways Tim Duncan had that quality for the Spurs organization he sort of set the type of tone for who and what they would be Steph has done that to an even greater degree I think with the Warriors mm. um, his own personal performances have elevated others but his presence his character also elevates the people that he's around all the time. And so I was fortunate to get to see that up close for just a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, very good. You know, you, you talk about him being a pure shooter because I almost want to say that he's unorthodox because it seems like his shots come from 
like that shouldn't be a shot there. He, yeah, he doesn't yeah. seem like he's ready to shoot. It just goes yeah. up and it goes in. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, mm. he uh, he has changed the game that way in terms of what you expect, you know, uh, from players and and what is a good shot or isn't a shot. When he was, you know, when I coached him, he was young. I mean, he was uh, barely twenty years old, and uh, the guys used his nickname with the guys was middle school because he looked like a middle school kid <laughs> out there in the NBA, you know, doing these you know, crazy things that sometimes it almost looked like tricks. Uh, yeah, um, but he had a way about him, and he, you know, he had a he had a youthful appearance that right. made him super popular with the kids. I mean, uh, it's all been interesting to 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 see unfold for him because now he's just a dominant force. Yeah, yeah. I see you coached in China when you were with the Warriors. What was that all about? Yeah, I, I did have some great international experiences coaching in the NBA. That's uh, one of the great things about being part of that league. We traveled around the world. I um, I coached in China some. I coached in uh, Turkey. I coached in Lithuania, um, all with um, outreach programs that the NBA had. Uh, the thing I did in China was fascinating. It, uh, I, I went as a, a, an employee of the NBA over there to run basketball camps uh, that were selection-based camps. We were trying to identify great players uh, in China. Um, there was a movie called Million Dollar Arm that did this. It was about uh, a baseball pursuit in India trying to find this. I did exactly that for basketball in China. Uh, we did these outdoor camps and There'd be 2,000 kids at the start of the camp, and part of my job was to run the camp and teach the kids and try to identify the four or five best players. Uh, It was fascinating. It was a a fascinating experience. I got to see parts of China that I never would have made the decision to travel to otherwise. I went to a city called Chongqing, and Chongqing is the most populous city in the world, and I'd never heard of it. Yeah, right. So it's it's interesting, the experiences that basketball can bring. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was wild. It was a wild cultural fun time. Very good. You also, um, coached, was it summer league in Las Vegas? Yeah, I did. Um, the, the NBA summer league, which is wildly popular now and is a TV event on ESPN now was just beginning in, uh, 2000, I think 11 was the first year that they had summer league in NBA. And so, it coincided. It wasn't not 2011. That no, was 2005. So I, w- I did NBA summer league from 2004 to 2010, and had a bunch of great experiences with that. Um, at the time, that was sort of what the off season entailed, and nobody took it very seriously. Right. It's a lot different than yeah. than the way the whole thing has grown to be now. Right, right, right. How about? Did you ever m- have moments in the NBA where like? I can't believe I'm talking to this person, this player, or I'm, you know, you just talked about places you've gone to, but do, do you remember any times like that? Like, Oh yeah. I mean, every night that's, <laughs> that's I mean, there were so many special moments in the NBA that, yeah. I mean, you know, I felt a little bit like Forrest Gump yeah. <laughs> on a nightly yeah. basis, you know, sitting front row, watching the best players in the world, you know, go about the things that they do. You know, I remember, I have the specific memory of meeting Larry Bird, yeah. you know, who was the GM of the Pacers at the time. Um, I I remember, you know, I sat sat in the back with Michael Jordan and Rod Higgins in Charlotte, you know, which to me was something that you know you couldn't even imagine yeah. as a young kid, um, but as a 
member of a staff in the NBA, there's there's some connectivity with those guys that right, uh, right. that I was fortunate to get to feel, and and I won't ever forget. And then there were other wild moments where, you know, there was a guy named Flip Murray um, that went off for thirty some points in a game in Seattle, and I'd never heard of Flip Murray. And I'm watching Flip Murray in an NBA game look to me like the best player I've ever seen. And that's the NBA experience. People don't really have the ability to appreciate how good every guy in it is. But yeah. when you see it night after night after night, you see some amazing things. Yeah. You know, when you talked about the difference between t- uh, you know, coaching and u- university college level and, and the NBA, can you distinguish that just a little bit more like, you know, is it just the quickness? Is it the talent? Uh, is it the egos? I don't, you know. Well, the, the, the dynamics are altogether different. You know, in, in college, you're an authority and um, and an educator. And in the pros, you're more of a collaborator and a teammate huh. when you're a coach. Huh. Um, the, the skill that you have to have that separates, that allows you to survive in the NBA is you have to be good at helping people improve. Um, you don't have to be an authority in the NBA. You have to be really good at helping people improve and at connecting with them. Um, in college, you have to play a lot of different roles. And, um, you know, it's an education-based model in college with different authority set up than, than, than what there is in, in the pros. And, then you know, the pros, there's different rules. There's different – I mean, everything's different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a different lifestyle. It's a different set of things. You know, I said before that the number one thing you have, you have to be an expert to succeed in the NBA. You have to have expertise to offer. Um, and your character matters less if you have that expertise in the NBA. Mm. It's the opposite in college. Your character as a leader probably matters way more than your expertise. Mm. Uh, if you can combine those two things well, then you can have real success. Thanks thanks for sharing that, Coach. Excuse me again, ladies and gentlemen, if you joined us late, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. And my guest today is men's basketball head coach, Russ Turner. And we're just talking about the differences between coaching and at the NBA professional level and, and at the college level. Coach, how about your influences? Are there coaches that you have been the most influential on you oh yeah yeah i'm I'm, uh, thankful all the time i I reach out to my mentors regularly you know um, coaches of different sports at different levels um, have all had tremendous impacts on me Um, but the the last coach i worked for don nelson is one of the best of all time you know he's in the naismith basketball hall of fame um and broke the record for most all-time wins while I was coaching with him, um, you know, in the NBA. And and he had a, just a tremendous influence on me uh, from a basketball side. He has a, a ability to think and see and understand the game because he played on NBA championship teams with Red Auerbach and the wow. Celtics. Yeah. Um, he had different types of things from that generation that, that allowed me to see through his example that benefited me in ways I couldn't imagine. Um, the coach I worked for, Mike Montgomery, that I mentioned at Stanford, is also a Hall of Famer and um, a huge influence on me, as is Dave Odom, um, Hall of Famer, a huge influence on me, the coach that I worked for at Wake Forest for six years, and then my 
own college coach, Tony Shaver, is as good a coach as the other three of those guys. Um, not as widely recognized because as a Division One coach, he was at William & Mary College, uh, but he's a Hall of Famer in Division Three for his performance there. So all those guys, along with uh, even some more that uh, my high school coach is a Hall of Famer. You know, I, I, I played for a great AAU coach, um, and all of them were very different. All of them, you know, did things very, very differently. And I'm really thankful for the diversity of the experiences I've had, the mm-hmm. diversity of the greatness I've been um, around. You know, you can't you can't get a better education in the game than I've gotten. Very good. Did you ever meet John Wooden? The <laughs> famous UCLA legendary coach. Yes. My uncle took me to uh, to his den and and I, on my wall in my office I have a, a signed pyramid and, and he wrote it all the way out he said to coach Russell Turner when I was uh, not even a college coach at that time I was a high school wow. coach to, wow. for the year I was coaching in Rome we came out here in the summer and, and did wow. that uh, he couldn't have been better to me I was known for being gracious and, and a giver um, and he was that to me I didn't know anything at all about his history um, the success I knew of because of all the wins and the championships he had. And it's been since I got out here and, and came to Irvine that I tried to learn more about him. I read everything I could. I devoured everything I could about John Wooden because, you know, he was part of this University of California system and found that great success. And, you know, when I was so hungry to try to break through as I started here, I I committed time to try to learn about him. And it's it's really fascinating how different some of the ways he went about it were from the mentors that I had. Mm-hmm. How about influential books? I, I understand you're a, a big reader. Is any any is that true? And any books come to mind that? Yeah, I, I guess I would say I'm a, a reader. Um, I am. I, I definitely am a reader. Um, trying to figure out what would be most influential for me. Uh, right now is is a hard thought you know I go from one to the next to the next mm. um, you know I, I, when, when I started at UC Irvine um, I read um, Built to Last and Good to Great and those helped me uh, formulate a strategy for trying to get good here as a coach mm-hmm. and and I, I remember thinking you know I'd, I'd um, gotten the impetus to read those books because, you know, some list, you know, 10 books that you should make sure you've read and learned from. And those two were on it. And so I, I remember specifically going through those books and thinking this can help me. Um, and I continue to do that. Mm-hmm. I continue to search for that type of thing. And I read everything I can um, about the basketball teams I follow. And um, I, I mostly read nonfiction um, I'm sorry. I'm mo- yeah, I mostly read nonfiction now, which is uh, the opposite of what I feel like I studied in college when I was an English major. Gotcha. How does the opportunity open itself up? How does it present itself to come to UCI? How does that come about? So the athletic director at UCI in 2010 was Mike Izzy, and Mike and I had worked together at Stanford. Mike was the director of development at Stanford. Um, in the years I was there from 2000 to 2004. And that was during the tech boom, the first tech boom in Silicon Valley. And it was the, 
you know, the time when Stanford basketball was killing it. So together we were a great success at fundraising and we had fun. And, you know, we, um, I think, connected as competitors and we remained connected through the time that I spent in the NBA. And when Mike got the opportunity as the AD here, he expressed interest in me coming um, and joining him here. And that was that was how it happened. He recruited me. Um, I didn't know a thing about Irvine. You know, growing up in Virginia, you don't know the difference between Riverside, Santa Barbara, um, Irvine, any of them. Uh, right. Davis. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know anything about Irvine. But when I came here, I couldn't believe how nice this place is. And I've often told kids I recruit, there's no, there's no better place to wake up every day than here in Irvine. And uh, I got that impression quickly when I got a look at this, and I saw the opportunity because there had been previous success in basketball here. But there had never been the breakthrough of an NCAA tournament berth. And so mm-hmm. I had belief um, that we could, we could find that breakthrough. And then, and then that ended up being what we did. Was it hard to leave the NBA? Or was oh, it- yeah. Yes, very hard. Very, very difficult to leave the NBA. Because, uh, I mean, the experience I had in the NBA was a great one. Um, we weren't, I wasn't always a part of good teams. Um, I was a part of one great team, the We Believe team in 2007 I was a part of in Golden State. And uh, that was a, a wonderful experience. Um, but the NBA lifestyle is great in some ways because of uh, the doors it feels like you're opening, the um, quality of the interactions you get to have with talented people. It's mm-hmm. it's really an addictive type of experience Mm -hmm. but it's also hard in terms of the travel it's hard in terms of the volatility because those jobs are easily lost uh, but very difficult to attain and so it didn't feel to me um, that I was guaranteed of stability if I chose that lifestyle and um, it's virtually guaranteed that that you wouldn't have any I mean I was six years in the same place as an NBA coach which is virtually unheard of and um, I, I evaluated this as a potentially more stable option, which it's been. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been here now 12 years, going into 13. Um, my kids, you know, have had a great experience growing up here in Irvine, and my wife and I have been truly fortunate. Oh, very, very good. Your first two seasons here at UCI, they're not winning seasons. W- yeah. Was that to be expected? Expected. I mean, how, you want to? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, when when I came here, the um, the attraction was that things were in place for us to win. Uh, that's uh-huh. the premise upon which I was recruited. But when I got here, I didn't feel like that was the case. I felt uh-huh. like I was uh, uh, really surprised that that maybe we were further from being um, a, a stable, solid. Um, good program than, than what I thought we would be. Um, and then we had to figure out how to implement a strategy to get us there. And so we got young for that second year. We changed a bunch of guys off the team and brought in a bunch of young kids. We committed to a development style, an evaluation and development style uh, that has turned out to fit great here. Um, I'd seen that also fit great at Stanford and at Wake, so I was fortunate to be able to apply the experiences I'd had. But we were not good. And and, um, there were times when I thought, if I can ever have one winning season here, I'm going to bounce out of here and go. And I look back at that and and, and see the entitlement um, and the softness in that idea. But I remember it, and and I'm I'm fortunate that I was motivated to – 
to to fight to be good and and had people around me that complimented me and that we stayed at it and that we broke through and that could have easily not happened yeah 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 how do you approach the season we have a, a, the season coming up you 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 have the preseason and then you have the regular season do, do, is it is is it different from the start to the middle to the to the end or or is it just game to game yeah good question um yeah the nature of what we play for is uh means that the 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 critical time of year for us is march we have to be ready for the big west conference tournament and we need to be playing our best then Uh. and everything that we need to do before then needs to be done with the idea that we're going to be at our best at that time of year um, and last year we were not. Last year we got beat in the first round of the Big West Tournament, and that's the first time that's happened in, I think, 10 or 11 years. Uh, so it felt a lot like we failed last year. Um, in December last year, we were as good as any team we've had here, and we weren't able to sustain that through the more important months of the season, yeah. which were January, February, and then March. So, Can you define that as a coach? Like, what happened? It- well, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses. You you yeah. do try to evaluate what happened. Yeah. Um, and, and some of what happened for us is that our whole team got COVID. And, okay. you know, a bunch of our games got canceled. And we had to work through that and recover. And, you know, we had some unexpected things. Our, our, our team's trainer left. And, you know, we had some probably uh, difficult scenarios that some of the guys on our team face. And I probably didn't make um, some really important decisions well. And and it really comes down to that a lot of the time, you know, as a leader. How do you pull the right lever as things are occurring to mm-hmm. keep yourself on the right track? And, and as a leader, maybe I disrupted our track a time or two last year or, or didn't figure it out, something. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just on me. It's uh, a collective effort with our staff and our team. And, you know, we didn't do it. We usually have done it well. We've usually, uh, through a combination of good fortune and, and and hard work and collaborative, you know, things, made those good choices that have allowed us to generate momentum. And um, I think we're going to get back to that this year. You know, last year we probably experienced some complacency, um, maybe some loss of humility, um, couple of bad breaks obviously COVID played a factor and we've been young for a long time so you know we probably didn't respond as maturely as I hope that uh, I can get our group this year to do why basketball what is it about basketball that that draws your energy that your commitment your dedication well, it's it's been something that I've loved, and and I'm I'm fortunate to you know have physical gifts that go with it. You know, I'm six seven. I've got a loud voice to coach now. I've got a lot of things that uh, point me in the direction where I've gone. Um, but there is a, a different part of that question. I think basketball at Irvine can be an igniter for this community, and and I felt that. I felt that in 2015. I felt that in 2019 when we made the NCAA tournament and won a game. I felt that. You know, on different nights during the winter in the Bren, when there's a great crowd and there's energy and there's, you know, all sorts of different types of folks from Irvine being entertained by what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is something special about the possibilities in our sport uh, because it gets attention. Uh, Mm -hmm. People are drawn to it and Mm -hmm. it's on television. So it excites me. 
You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I've got a really, really great gig, and I get to do it here, you know, with people who are committed to a world-class education, you know, who want to be great students. I think also, you know, we've we've been able to differentiate ourselves by attracting people with character who want to be pushed, who want to become better versions of themselves, tougher, um, more resilient. Uh, we get to explore all those things with basketball, and people get to watch that unfold, and I think it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, very good. I understand you're a player's coach. What does that mean to you? <laughs> well, um, it's interesting that you would characterize me that way. I think some may say that I am, and others may say that uh, that I'm not. Um, I do try to, you know, think about what my players need what they need, how I, I best can serve them. Um, I don't think serving my players in any may, any way means spoiling them or coddling them, but uh, it does to me mean um, giving them the truth and you know having really high expectations for them as players, but more importantly as, as young men, as people, as uh, guys who want to grow into something better than what they are now. And so I think somehow I combine that well um, to push guys hard and to make it fun and to be really competitive and to help them grow in their confidence. That's what I hope it means anyway. Did you learn the expression, the quote, embrace the hardship? Did you make that up or did you hear it someplace? And I've, I've heard that attached to you. From one of your players or one of your coaches? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, no, I, that did, doesn't even sound like something I would say, but uh, it is something I kind of believe that uh, um, you have to experience um, adversity, difficulty, pain um, to grow. I do believe that. Uh, um, there are others who want the whole thing to seem positive, and I think it can be both, um, uh, but it's not easy. You know, I, I think that, that to be really competitive, to, to try to win um, at the most competitive sport we have is hard. To try to do that and pursue a world-class education is hard. To try to express solid character every day when you're easily recognizable, that's hard. Um, so I do ask the guys to um, embrace doing things that are difficult and sometimes em- embrace the difficult demands that I you know, that I impose on them. <laughs> uh, so it does fit with what we do. Gotcha. Excuse me, just one last time, Coach. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations live in studio with men's basketball coach Russ Turner on the eve of the basketball season going into full swing. Coach, I understand last night was season ticket holder distribution night yeah. and you know one of your big fans was just talking about how emotional you got when you were introducing the players and um can you just describe to us like what your players mean to you <laughs> well i'm an emotional guy so huh. um it, it always it always surprise it happens almost every time i i try to talk about um what my players um great qualities are or the things I appreciate in them, I often get caught emotionally. Emotion sort of pours out of me and it surprises me and I can't really help it. Um, There are a lot of other coaches who go through the same thing because I think because I've I've tried to figure this out. Um, 
I think it's because we are passionate about wanting badly um, to serve our players and for them to grow and improve. And then it's especially difficult when we feel like that doesn't happen or when we feel like it does. And so the emotion sometimes just comes out of me when I'm talking about guys' qualities. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm reminded of things I've done maybe to help those guys or things that I've done that, you know, maybe set us back a little while. Um, in, in coaching and educating, I think uh, the people who do it best are often um, really, really critical of themselves. And that's the way I feel. And so sometimes that combination of emotion just pours out of me. Um, but I've had really special people uh, that I've gotten to lead, and that's especially true here. And for all the guys that I get to lead, I see um, how hard it is for them to, to you know, endure a lot of what we experience. And so there's special emotion attached to that journey, especially to the victories in that journey. Very good. I understand that you go out of your way to meet the families of all your players. and You've gone as far as Senegal, West Africa. I mean, why is that so important to you? Well, it's important to me on a number of levels with our players to connect with the families because I think that, um, you know, really every kid that we've got is influenced most by uh, the people who've helped them come up. And so I want to always give the respect that uh, those figures in my guys' lives deserve. I want to show that appreciation. Um, I want to express the recognition that I have um, of how much is riding on my performance. Mm-hmm. And so I've made those trips. I've always been glad that I've made them. Um, it's hard for me to think about the trip to Senegal because I saw Mamadou, so our 7-6 player, Mamadou Jai. I went over there to meet his mom and and I'm glad that I did that. We probably couldn't have had the relationship that we had during the time he was here or continue to have without my making that trip. But while um, Mamadou was here, his mom passed away. And so I'd actually seen her more recently than he had. So there's always things to learn from those experiences about my guys that can help me potentially better lead them, um, better connect to them, better lead them. And so I do work really hard to prioritize the families of, of uh, the guys I'm trying to lead. Hmm. How would you describe this year's team? Well, we're um, loaded with potential, um, and we're young, um, and we may be a little bit undervalued. I think uh, we've got a lot of guys who are really highly motivated uh, because it felt to us like we didn't reach our potential last year. Uh, so there's a hunger about this team, um, and it's a team that still hasn't yet come together and figured out what our identity is actually going to be on a night-to-night basis because we have so many new pieces and potentially a somewhat new style because we're not going to be dominated by big, physical, um, athletic interior players. We now are going to be more um, experienced, especially and deep, at the perimeter spot. Um, all the perimeter spots. We've got some young, big guys that need to come along. Uh, But I think we're going to be a lot like the teams we've had here in that we're going to be defensive-oriented. We're going to be 
unselfish. We're going to be hardworking, and, and we're going to play with a really high competitive level. So I'm excited for what's in front of us. Great. How long have you been practicing together now? Are, are there rules about that when you can start practicing? Yeah, yeah. The, the rules used to have more clarity. Uh, we've, we've been practicing, I think, officially for about four weeks now, which seems like a long time. We finally get to play another team this weekend in, a, in our first allowed open scrimmage. Or, or close scrimmage, excuse me. Is that the um, November third game, or is there actually one? No, before? no. There's oh. uh, there's actually a game this weekend. We're going to have a oh. close scrimmage against Arizona State. So our oh. guys are really excited about that. But we've been we've been at it for a while. You know, the the nice thing now that it feels like COVID is over is that we've had a normal off season where we've been able to train in the off season, to lift weights, to be together, to um, you know, to 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 not be as limited in the contact that we can have. Uh, so we've been at it for a while, uh, but we're still figuring it out. We've got uh, a lot to do to get the uh, combinations of guys more and more comfortable together. Um, so our first game is the first week of November, uh, as you mentioned, and uh, the time that we're gearing towards is not until March. Gotcha. Do you want to say anything about your fans and your supporters of your program? Oh, yeah, of course I do. Um, this community has been great to me and to my family. Uh, we're so thankful for that. Our team thrives on the energy that is generated in the brand when we get support from this community. I uh, love the student support most. And I say that because I feel like if we get good student support, then more people in the community are interested and engaged. So I think they connect. Uh, but we've got so many longtime fans here, so many folks who've supported this program since well before I was part of it. Um, I'm grateful to have given, to have been part of giving them some memorable experiences in our NSA tournament runs. And, you know, we've got seven championships in the last 10 years now. So I know people like the success that we've had because of the type of people we've had it with, because of the combination of academics and character that we bring to the table. Um, I love what we get to do. And, and I'm grateful for the support that we get. Oh. Coach, thank you so much for being here today. I, I just want to acknowledge that more than uh, than I can count, people have told me you've been a game changer since you've come to UCI. Your winning record speaks for itself. You've 242 wins, 158 losses. That's over 600% winning average. UCI's all-time winning as coach. You, we've had two NCAA tournament berths. We had our first win. Uh, you've been four times uh, Big West Coach of the Year. In just having this time with you, Coach, you know, I've seen your passion on the court, and I've seen, uh, uh, you know, just your work ethic and so forth, but your heart really comes through in uh, talking with you today. Uh, well, hey, Kevin, thank you. You're and, the real deal. Hey, I believe in this place, and, and I know you do too. And so I appreciate that so much. That's that's what stands out to me in so many here is the belief in what this place is, what this place can be. Uh, nobody believes that stronger than I do. And, and I think you also have that belief, and I appreciate that, man. Thank you for having me here. Best of luck this season. We'll be seeing you out in the court. All right.